Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Ryan McCurdy, your In Doubt host, and today I had the great privilege of talking with Danielle Strickland, who is a influencer and preacher all over the globe, and she has an amazing stories to tell, but she's also got a lot of passion, and so we have this great conversation about women and young girls being empowered to share their voice. And so there's a a few things that we got into, one of them being Brave Global, which is an organization that prevents young women from getting into sex trafficking and sex trade in North America. It's an amazing thing that she's working with. She also has another organization that we talk about a little bit called Women's Speakers Collective, which is all about empowering women's voice to be heard and shared. And so we have this great conversation about recognizing the distinction and the need for equality of perspective that all men and women are made in the image of God. Like we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God made man and women in his image and intrinsically very good. And so from this point, that forms how we understand each other and it it informs how we understand being involved in the church. I really like what Danielle had to say when she said that men and women are better together. We need each other. I hope and pray that this episode will be something that'll be great for challenging some of maybe the preconceived notions that we have and assumptions we have and spur all of us on to using all of our gifts for the glory of God. So with me today, we have a very special guest, a renowned speaker and communicator who has traveled all over the world sharing the good news of Jesus. Her name is Danielle Strickland. Danielle, so good to have you with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Danielle, we want to talk to you a little bit about kind of the things that you're involved in and the things that God is at work doing in your life and in the ministries that you're a part of. But for those of us who are listening and maybe those who aren't familiar with the work that you've been doing, would you be able to give us just a little brief overview of kind of your life, your story, what God's been doing in your life for the last number of years? Yeah, sure. Although I'm a speaker, so brief isn't in my specialty box. But no, um, basically, I spent 22 years working with the Salvation Army. I was radically jolted to life by an encounter I had with Jesus in jail when I was a juvenile delinquent. I thought Christianity was boring, safe, and small. And then I met Jesus and realized it's actually the exact opposite of that. The invitation Jesus gives us is to an adventurous, unsafe, risky, uh, full-on life. So I started following him, and then I, I joined the Salvation Army. I really wanted my life to be about others. And the fastest way I knew to do that was to join the Salvation Army. So for 22 years, I served in the Salvation Army as an officer, which is like an ordained clergy doing all kinds of projects, a lot of stuff around social justice, like ending human trafficking, incarnational communities among the poor. I lived in the downtown east side of Vancouver for five years, Powell and Main Street, just trying to build local community there. Lots of things around getting people out of addictions and cycles and violence and crime. And uh, and then some other inner cities in uh, Collingwood and Melbourne, Australia. And then I lived in LA for a while. But really just uh, working, helping establish social justice departments for the Salvation Army and also church planning, kind of at the same thing. So like my love is Jesus and all the other things I do are around this person of Jesus and what salvation really is as it comes to the world. You know, it's this kind of redemption plan, salvaging 
you know, challenging statistics and despair with hope and possibilities and giving people future. So that's really, so these days, my main role really is, I felt like God had called me last year out of just one denomination to every denomination. And really just with this message of mobilization, it's a now time, I think, for the church. Um, and it's time kind of to do some things, to get to some things that we uh, we really need the world's desperate for us to get to. Yeah, so. yeah, that's wonderful. And I think even the phrase that comes up, even for me as you're, you're sharing, is this word social justice, right? And so how how the church and the mission of God is deeply concerned, yes, with theology, yes, with our belief of, of God and our belief of how we view the world, but also how we love our neighbor and how we are involved in the community to make it a better place. And so, you know, I'd be curious, like that line of thinking of what is social justice and why do social issues matter to the church? Uh, What would you respond with? Well, I think you just answered it yourself uh, in setting up the question. I think that Jesus said, you know, the whole entire prophets, the Old Testament could be summed up by loving God and loving others. And uh, social justice, I mean, properly defined, is just right relationships between people. So the whole gospel, I mean, Paul calls us ministers of reconciliation in the New Testament, which is really literally to say that our ministry is right relationship with God and right relationship with others, which is hinged on the greatest commandments that Jesus gave to his followers. Dr. Cornel West once said that uh, the best definition of social justice is love in public, which I really love and keep coming back to because that is, it really is about that. It's about if you really love people, you know, you're going to want them to encounter right relationship uh, with God, but also with one another. So there's equality, there's distribution conversations, there's legislative conversations, but ultimately what it comes down to is right relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have listeners all over the world, and that idea of love being mobilized and love being mobilized in public is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And, you know, with the work that you're doing and the activity that you're involved in, uh, because you are all over the world and you are being, you know, doing a lot of different visits and teaching and preaching and stuff like that. From your perspective, what are some of the biggest pieces of social justice that are needed now and needing the church to wake up to and be mobilized towards? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I mean, I think there are as many as neighborhoods, you know, because I think ultimately what a church should be about is what is in front of them in their own local communities, wherever they see an injustice or, and this is why being friends with people from the margins is really helpful to this regard because the church will have no, you know, won't see anything at all until you're friends with somebody that's being oppressed. And then you'll be like, wait a minute. So uh, a few of the things that I'm passionate about right now that I'm helping churches get behind is, uh, well, there's two campaigns that I'm kind of running. One is called Brave Global, and it's mobilizing churches to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. So this is recognizing 70 to 80% of domestic sex trafficking victims. So victims of sex trafficking from the country, from the host country, particularly these stats from America, but Canada is not far behind. But 70 to 80% of sex trafficking victims born in America are uh, from foster care. So at first, when we heard that stat, we were like, what? You know, like, that's horrible, which it is. And we understand that foster care needs some reforming and we need to change the system. And yes, yes to all that. But in the meantime, all of a sudden we realized, wait a minute, we know these girls' names, which means that if we could be strategic about it, we could get to them before they're trafficked. So we said if traffickers can target vulnerable girls for exploitation, the church could target vulnerable girls for redemption. 
And so we mobilize churches to get there first and to reach vulnerable girls in their community with some empowerment, some good news, a possibility, hope, and messages from survivors that have some really great tips to how not to be trafficked and how to get out quick. So that's kind of a preventative campaign that I'm involved in. And I just absolutely, you know, I spent 22 years really just taking dead bodies out of a a downward stream of trafficking, you know, just street survival, brothels, safe houses, you know, the whole nine yards. And I'm all for it. But I really think this is like going upstream and finding out where these bodies are coming from and stopping stopping the flow, which I'm pretty excited about. And I think that the church is really well positioned for this. Like when the church goes to social services and says, look, we want to help empower girls. We want to help prevent trafficking. And we have this method. They're surprised to find that social services like, yes, please. It's a too hard box, man. Nobody has any answers for girls in foster care or in criminal justice system who are being trafficked. That's part of the problem. It's too hard. So Brave Global exists. So if you're in a church and you want to prevent human trafficking and kind of want to get on this end of the fight, go to braveglobal.org and yeah. sign up. That's we'll help you. That's amazing. My yeah. wife, my wife uh, in years previous, she worked with uh, group homes and uh, a group home being a place where girls, typically the group home she was with, where they didn't fit the foster care. You know, they just they couldn't fit. They kept getting spit out by different families and it never really landed. And the the place for them was to be cared for by paid staff from the Ministry of Child and Family Youth Worker. And so all this work comes together. And, you know, as I, you know, I'm a pastor and so I spend a lot of time with, you know, with my wife, obviously. And we have these different perspectives of, you know, caring for people and pastoring people and discipling them and helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And then, you know, the youth group I'm a part of, recently we've had a number of kids who are coming, a lot of young girls, grade 7, grade 8, so they're 13, 14, and they come from rougher backgrounds. They come from foster care. One of them's in a group home. And, and, you know, this very piece is, it's shaking up our very youth group. And in a good way, right? Because we have good Christian kids from good Christian families, and they're all part of this good Christian church, and we're doing our best to follow Jesus and walk in his way. And we have new people coming who are not believers, do not come from Christian families, and they've got this different perspective. And now the question is, how do we care for these people who, yeah, are coming from the margins? How do we care for these young girls and young boys who are not given the same uh, exa- like examples in family and same opportunity and same maybe healthy routine and all this stuff. And I think this is one of the things that I'm really curious your perspective on, Danielle, because it costs the church something to say, yeah, we are going to care about those who are marginalized. And what do you think? Do you think the church is in a place where, you know, you said the opportunity is ripe. Do you think the church is in a place where they can jump in and say, you know, what, we will yeah, die to our comforts of how we do church to make room? Or are you finding a little bit more of, you know, we like, we're comfortable, we don't want to change? Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I try not to just bug people who don't want to. I try to spend all my time with folks who do want to, because I find that to be the most hopeful and most actually best use of my time. <laughs> But in essence, that is the gospel. Like whenever you have that opportunity that you are even just speaking of right now, even with your youth group, you have an opportunity to disciple your kids into what the gospel is. And if you're not, so even though it's disruptive, it's actually the kingdom disrupting your youth group. So this is their opportunity to hear Jesus again and follow Jesus again in in a way that actually matters. 
And that this is the God, like the gospel is Jesus is like, pick up your cross and follow me. Like, this is what the gospel is lived out. And we just still want the gospel to be some kind of super spiritual truth that sets us free, like a rabbit in a pocket or something like that. And actually the gospel has always, always been, if we follow Jesus, this way of living that is different, countercultural, it's inclusive, it's to the margins. I mean, Jesus almost always, when you read the trajectory of Jesus's ministry, he goes out of his way to get in the way of the poor and the oppressed. It's not even just on his way. I mean, sometimes the scripture will even say on his way, but if you look at a map, you, you get a map out and you look at where it says on his way to Jerusalem, you'll see that Jesus is actually going in the opposite direction of physically of Jerusalem, which is what he's doing is he's on his way to the cross. That's what it means that it says on the way to Jerusalem. It's on the way to suffering, like on the way to death, on the way to dying to yourself. You're going to go by foster group homes. And what are you going to do? That's going to teach you actually how to exemplify sacrificial love. So until the church does that, I'm not sure that it really even has fully discovered the joy and freedom of the gospel. So I would say that's your best, like the church's best invitation. And this is churches that have partnered with us for Brave Global have said to us, thank you, you made us brave, right? Like we had to bring, so we thought this was about making girls brave, but all of a sudden we just discovered, oh no, we have to be brave and then we can ask girls to be brave. So it's kind of, you know, this mutual invitation. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned this, these words, joy and freedom. You say it brings joy and freedom actually when you, yeah, when you die to yourself and you make room for somebody or you, you know, take part of something that maybe is stretching you out of your comfort zone. I think it's so easily to say, well, you know, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be tough. I don't know if I want to do this. And, you know, it, it might disrupt my comfort. But in that, like you said, there's this joy and there's this freedom that comes in being able to die to yourself and help other people. And so when you say, you know, Brave Global and the work that's been happening, you have churches that are partnered with you. What are some of the success stories coming out of this? Like, we would love to hear, like, what is God up to in these young girls' lives? Yeah, I mean, there are dozens of churches, so and ranging from kind of small ones. So there's like a church that partners with the University of Seattle uh, in Seattle, Washington, that does this incredible uh, Brave uh, event there. So they've had uh, some agencies come together with churches. They've done a mentoring program. So always with preventative um, stuff, it's hard to get the big uh, sexy story because you prevented something from happening. You know, so I have better stories of like, you know, dragging people off of streets that people like better, you know. But um, so you might not ever know, but like I remember I was in L.A. at a church called Mariner's Church. It was a very large mega church in, in America, and they are a brave uh, church. And so there's a thousand girls there. And I mean, there are girls there from like Girl Guides, you know, are doing a brave badge now they have. And so they're coming to the brave event as part of their brave badge. So we have like from all different diverse backgrounds, as well as the girls from Mariner's Church, you know, so like, it's like this also very beautifully inclusive place, group homes in the neighborhood, they partner with foster care. So a lot of foster care kids are there, which is our, you know, target audience. And uh, we had an MMA fighter that comes because uh, part of the event is a self-defense section where we just really try to empower girls to stand up for themselves. And uh, we have this MMA fighter come and share her story about how she was sexually abused when she was nine. And it took her 10 years to even talk about it. And when she was doing her martial arts training, her self-defense stuff, she realized that her first training, the first training you receive in self-defense is not physical, it's verbal. It's to actually use your voice. So if you go to a self-defense class, they'll say scream, make some noise, like shout, like use your voice before any physical thing, you're going to use your voice. And she realized how 
you know, strategic it was for women and girls to find their voice and to use it, which is really important on so many levels. But and the part of the reason why it's important is your first form of self-defense. So we can tie, like even now in a Me Too movement, you know, we realize even just women finding their voices to speak aloud what they've kept silent their whole life is this first form of rising up. So anyway, so she taught these thousand girls phrases to say when they're at a party and they're uncomfortable. Like, here's what you can say, like, get away from me. You're making me feel uncomfortable, you know? And then she had them all repeat it, you know? And then here's some phrases you could say for friends that you're observing, like in a situation where you think this might not be okay. Here's some things and these thousand girls are repeating it back. And I mean, it was so profound. I just remember sitting there going like a thousand girls have just been equipped, even if this is all we did, which we did way more than this. But even if all we did was teach a thousand girls how to use their voice to prevent you know, sexual abuse from happening. I mean, we just did like, we just like killed it. You know, like, I mean, we just like yeah, killed it. I mean, absolutely. This is, and so there were about 200 women volunteers. They were all just tears streaming down their faces afterwards. As they said to me, if I had had this event when I was 11, it would have changed the trajectory of my whole life. And that's, that's sort of where we're at. We're like, let's just change the story. We want a better one. We want a better story for a whole generation of girls. So let's make a better story. We can do this. We don't, we're not stuck with it. This idea of like fatalistic, inevitable cycles of oppression that are never changing. Like that's a world story. And that's a story that's like tired and old. And uh, I want a better story. This is, and this is the gospel story. It's a better one. This is where like the people from the margins don't just break the cycles of marginalization. They become the leaders of the future. So that's kind of, we see you as a solution, not the problem you know, you're sacred and good and what's in you is actually meant to thrive. And we need you to lead the future. You know, it's beautiful. You're giving me goosebumps here. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's such a privilege to be part of. We just launched it in Canada, by the way. Yeah. So the first Canadian event is in Toronto in uh, May. And uh, who knows? Let's have one in Vancouver. Oh, come on. Let's get to it. If you want to help help set one up in Vancouver, just call us. Let's do it. Call me. Let me know. Because I think that is incredible. (laughs) I get so excited about that because there's an element there that's, yeah, like you're saying, the, the, the cultural world narrative of oppression and being marginalized is like, oh, we've got this chip on our shoulder. So now we got to get back at them. And I love how you said, you're not the problem, you're the solution. You know, finding healing and wholeness. What does Jesus do? He says, love your enemies, forgive those who persecute you. Like, take that step and make right what was wrong towards you. And it's that breaking of the cycle that brings healing, not just for the individual, but for communities. Yeah, well, and hey, check this out. How would it it change for the church to be known in the community as the place that empowers girls? I mean, think about like just as in terms of like Canada asking itself, what's the church for? You know what I mean? Like what would it mean in your community if your church was known as the place that empowers girls? I mean, that's going to change some things about even church and the gospel and what it means in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I think of when we talk about culture and the views and the, the different people who are on different margins and all this stuff and this idea of women speakers, this idea of young girls growing up being empowered in their voice, I think is so important. On this past Sunday at my church, we had uh, our lead pastor was teaching on this passage where uh, the alabaster jar is broken on Jesus's feet. And he just took a moment to pause and say, the church needs to recognize that the, the women in our communities bring a beautiful perspective that has, yeah, unfortunately been maybe neglected or pushed aside a little bit. But let's create space for this conversation and this dialogue and this input to be 
heard because it is a very valuable perspective. And so I'm curious for you, like even with what you're working in, like are you seeing a lot of more, um, more openness to this idea of empowering young women and having room in churches? Are there still some churches that are like, you know what, no, you know, we, we're kind of going to do our own thing and, and we're not as, as encouraging of that? Or what's your, what's your feeling with that? Yeah, I mean, again, there's tons of churches who have been disempowering to women, contrary to the teachings of Jesus, which is, I think, unbelievably shame-filled, I feel like, uh, at least like measure up to Christ, right? Like, at least if we're going to have an example, let's at least exemplify Jesus, who, like you said, that's just one illustration, but you know, from evangelists to apostles, you know, like go go tell the disciples to like leadership to, you know, I mean, I, stewardship to everything. Jesus is, uh, you know, literally the first radical feminist that we've ever met uh, in time. So I am like all for the example of Christ. What I would say is that there is a gap. So because of the patriarchy being normalized, so churches, whether they meant to or not, you know, where a patriarchal or a male-focused society lands is kind of in this disempowerment of women. It doesn't mean to, maybe even, and maybe even it's nice when it does it, but it still kind of disempowers women. So you'll find like church conferences or main churches, you'll find like women are not fairly represented in terms of voice, even if you were just going to represent the church. So the church is over 50% female. And so if you were just going to have equal representation, you'd have 50% of the conference speakers be female. If you're just going for equal, forget about like giving them more. So we're far, far, every church, even churches that are intentional are not at 50% representation. I I was at a conference this uh, year or like December Urbana, which is a university-based conference, uh, InterVarsity Press puts on in Chicago, about 10,000 students that get together in a stadium. And they, this was the first year they'd ever had equal representation And the feedback they received was that there were too many women, which is just because everyone's so used to it not being equal that it looked like it was more than 50%, which is interesting. But I would say that um, 50%, uh, there's a gap. So usually women don't know they can speak, don't know how to foster, aren't prepared, don't have any practice places because they're not equal opportunities. So they don't have platforms locally where they can practice. So I think there's churches that maybe theologically, they're like, yes, we should have women speak, but we don't know who they are because there's this like gap of women who can fill that space because they haven't been prepared or given opportunities. So we're trying, you know, I'm trying the best I can. I find myself a lot of times at conferences where I'm the only women speaker. And usually even at places where I'm not even really supposed to speak, and yet here I am speaking. So it's usually a bit of a, we're all a bit bewildered about how this happens, which is just a a Holy Spirit thing for sure. We're all a little bit bewildered, but I started realizing I don't want to be the exception to the rule. I want to change the rule. So one of the things I had asked myself is how can I use what I've learned from a lifetime of speaking at mixed events, at mainstream sort of conferences and churches around the world, and how can I use this as a way of helping other women discover opportunity and potential and use everything I have in an empowering way? So I started this thing called the Women Speaker Collective for that reason, to just to be more specific with my own gift and ability at empowering other women and giving a platform to them. Sounds amazing. And, and I mean, I think one of the questions that I have is why, why do you think that there is that discrepancy? So the latest book I'm just going to release next year, I just finished the manuscript, is called Better Together, How Women and Men Can Stop Fighting and Start Thriving. I've got three boys at home. 
and an amazing husband. So like I'm all pro team men and I've been working with marginalized women for 22 years. So I'm pro women. So, and I do not see those as competitive. They're the same, you know, we want to be the best we can be as a humanity and a humanity at its best is male and female working empowered together to coaster the earth. So let's do that. So I always say like, if you want to model what God's original purpose is for the world, model women and men together leading co-equal in power. Like this is God's great, I mean, this is the Trinity at its best is this leadership team that's not too concerned about who's in charge, but more concerned about like giving glory to one another. And this is Paul's ideal for marriage, right? Like submit to one another, like every whatever your gift is, use it for the benefit and you'll be better together. And so it's like, it's it literally is a deconstruction of hierarchy as we understand it. So if we can deconstruct hierarchy, we're going to start discovering what the gospel looks like. I just was in Rwanda. They use this training for transforming leaders and reconciliation. It's beautiful. They just use a tree. And they say the fruit of the tree is what we always look at. And we're like, this is not a good tree. But actually the fruit of the tree is not the problem. The root of the tree is always the problem. And the root of the tree is what you really believe. So if you're if you're uh, reaping fruit that is disempowering to women, then the problem is not just your practice. The problem is your belief system. Uh, you have to get to your belief system, which will then inform your practice, which will then bear some fantastic fruit. I again, I love hearing you you go and and share and just it's like a switch turns and you go into like preacher mode and you just you get you yeah. can see the passion <laughs> you can hear the passion in your voice and I yeah. love that and I love how even in that is this very honest hey we're better together it's not about it's not about pushing one or the other down it's not about switching this idea of okay men have have typically had more influence and more you know kind of the patriarchal piece that that we've been talking about. It's not about switching that to be matriarchal. It's not about there needs to be a dominant here. It's that together as equals, we share in this burden of, like you said, stewarding the earth and, and managing you know, resources and caring for those who are marginalized. It's a, it's a teamwork thing. And yeah, the problem is that it's going to feel a little bit, like you said, disruptive, even when that, you know, when those people came in from outside of the system, it feels disruptive, even though that actually should be normal. That should that should be your normal, not a disruption. That's what the gospel story is, is inclusion from the margins. But it's going to feel disruptive. And that's okay. I think the other problem is that we've spent a lot of years thinking anything disruptive was not God. I don't know how we feel that way since we read our Bibles and realize that every single time God does anything, he has to disrupt people to do it, right? So I feel like if you feel disrupted, like lean in, like this is where God is doing his best work. I guarantee you where you feel disruption is where God's on the move. So don't be afraid of it. And I, I spend a lot of my time telling church leaders and churches all over the world, don't be afraid of disruption. This is God moving to a new normal, which I can't wait to get to. That's amazing. All right, Danielle, thanks so much for being with us. It was a joy to hear your passion and the work that you're up to. So encouraged by it. Thank you again. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And there you have it, the conversation with Danielle Strickland. You can follow up with her a little bit more on her website, daniellestrickland.com, where you can find out a lot of information about these things that she's a part of, including 
Women Speakers Collective, uh, Brave Global, another one that we didn't talk about, Amplify Peace, which are all about empowering women and young women to explore using their voice and to be empowered to do so. I loved talking to Danielle about social justice and how we can make this world a better place as the church, as followers of Jesus. And so looking forward to her book, Better Together, which she said will be coming out in a little while. So thanks for listening in today. If you ever want to find out more information about In Doubt, you can email info at indoubt.ca. You can follow us on Instagram at indoubtca. Next week, we have with us Autumn Miles from Texas. She's lively, energetic, and passionate, and she's going to be telling her story of domestic abuse. So we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.